From 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Joy Powers. Today we'll hear from the first openly transgender police officer in Wisconsin. I am just the first of something. I'm sure, I'm sure that there are trans and non-binary officers that are on a force somewhere in the state of Wisconsin, somewhere across the United States. We'll talk to the founder of the Milwaukee Short Film Festival, which celebrates its 25-year legacy this coming weekend. When you have people coming back to you over and over again, that's a good feeling and I think says something about our festival and how we take care of the filmmakers. Plus, we'll hear some new local music in this month's Milwaukee Music Roundup. All of that is coming up on Lake Effect. But first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Joy Powers, and thank you so much for joining us. Officer DeJorn Gauthier, or DJ, as he's known by his colleagues, is the first openly transgender law enforcement officer in Wisconsin. He joined the Wisconsin State Fair Police Department in December of 2022. He previously worked seven years in public safety at State Fair Park. Gauthier says he's aspired to join the legal field in some capacity since he was a child. The justice system, law, and police work have always been a part of his life. WUWM's race and ethnicity reporter Taryn Powell talks with Gauthier about his journey to becoming an officer with the State Fair Police and the impact that he hopes to have. You mentioned just this passion for law is something that you've carried since you were a child. Did you always know that that would translate into being an officer? Was an officer your ultimate goal? You know, being an officer definitely has been on my radar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I wasn't sure if it was going to be or not, but that perfect opportunity had came with our new chief, and he is very strong on training and knowledge and having a very diverse and inclusive force. And so with that, you know, I just saw everything line up for me perfectly. I've had my experience, you know, within law as far as being a paralegal, being a legal assistant and things like that from the court side, you know, being in suits. And now I wanted to see how it would be from the other side. And when I tell you that I truly enjoy and I'm so glad that I picked the department that I did or that the department picked me rather <laughs> that. I, I'm very, very glad that I did. Um, I would not choose any other department to work for. You wouldn't choose any other department to work for, and you actually truly enjoy this work. So let's talk a bit more about that. What do you enjoy most about working with the department so far? It's coming up on a year. And, you know, what's also been challenging about it, if anything, so far? Absolutely. I think one of the best things, and this was their all of my years at working at State Fair Park, working with an open-armed employer, as well as specifically when it comes to law enforcement, being able to see the smiles on children's faces, no matter what race, what religion, what gender, right? Just seeing kids, seeing that officers are there to help. Um, one of the things that I love that my chief said is that we all wear the same badge, and that is so true. It does not matter that I am trans when I am there. When I'm walking the ground, I am there doing the same thing that any other officer 
that is there, and that is to make sure that our community is safe and that they understand that we are someone that they can go to if they need help, whether it is just finding where the closest restroom is or if it is something where it is even a medical emergency. And I think the experience that I had this year truly zoned in on that, being able to wear the same uniform with the folks that I have worked with over the past six years and even some newcomers and collaborating and being a team was just so amazing. It felt so good. Um, And that is one of the biggest perks, like I said, and being repaid with smiles from kids from very young ages, you know, all the way to even teenagers, even some of the ones who were possibly getting in trouble, you know what I mean? (laughs) And then them being able to calm down and see that we are just as human as they are, seeing that we will treat them with respect. And all of that was just so amazing. And so that's a huge perk. As far as any challenges, I have yet to really see any challenges come my way. But what I can tell you in general, as a law enforcement officer, being able to stay fit, being able to tolerate stress and high stress situations throughout training or even in actual situations, that's a an ongoing challenge. Um, that is something that every officer will face, again, no matter what department you're with, no matter who you are. Um, And that is something, again, going kind of back to a perk that my department, my team has helped with making sure that each one of our officers is okay. That's why I'm saying I really, truly feel included, and I would not pick any other department. Folks who make history don't generally set out to do so, right? It kind of just happens. And I think that's essentially what you've done just with being the first out trans officer. What does that mean to you? You know, really, I like to say that, you know, it's not about what I am, it's about who I am. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm going to revert back to the quote from the chief of that we all wear the same badge. And you're absolutely right where this was not something that I was set out to do. It just so happened to be, and it just so happened to be with Wisconsin State Park Police, right? And it means a lot, though, because I do understand that this is a historic moment. But again, I want everyone to know that the history would not have been made if I didn't have every single one of my command staff, every single one of the officers that have been behind me if I did not have everyone in the police academy from my classmates to my instructors to be able to help me get through, right? I had to get through that part before I you know, could even wear a badge, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a team effort. So this is not about me at all. This is about everyone that was a part of this journey. Help me become the officer that I am. Help me get this historic moment going. And it's not going to be the last. Again, I am just the first of something that I'm sure, I'm sure (laughs) that there are trans and non-binary officers that are on a force somewhere in the state of Wisconsin, somewhere across the United States, right? And it is just going to be for their time that they feel safe, that they feel okay to be able to say that they are. Absolutely. And I think you make a great point with just being able to have the moment where they can feel safe enough to just be themselves where it shouldn't be a big deal. Like it's obviously important, but it's like, like you said, it's not about what you are, it's who you are. Mm -hmm. My next question kind of goes along to that safety because obviously we're at a point in this country, right? Where 
trans lives, particularly black trans lives, are in danger, Mm -hmm. whether it's attacks on trans rights um, or just trans existence in general. I know you said you have the support of your team, right? And it was the team that got you to be the officer that you are. But I'm also wondering, like, do you think about that danger that is just right now against trans people? Like, do you think about that in your role as an officer? And how do you navigate that if that is something that you're thinking about? Sure, absolutely. So the key part of of this question here is that, honestly, it has nothing to do with being an officer at all. Being a black trans person, you know, just in general living and breathing is something where I need to be aware of my safety at all times. Being an officer, again, separated from being trans, you need to be aware and have your head on a swivel, you know, at all times, right? Safety matters. So all we're doing here is just kind of like combining the two. But so, yes, absolutely. No matter what, I'm always worried about my safety. I'm worried about my family's safety. I'm worried about my coworkers' safety, right? Because of the field that we work in. But directly with being trans, my thing is, is that you don't see that I'm trans, okay? That is not something that, that pops up when you see me in uniform, okay? What, what is seen is going to be my color. What is seen is going to be how my communication skills are, right, and how I can de-escalate a situation. Um, and so with that being said, I'm thinking every encounter that I have with an individual, regardless, like I said, if it is, you know, something good and, you know, community service-wise or if it is something that is, you know, a criminal act, things like that, no matter what, I am still going to rely on my training. I'm still going to rely on my experiences of what I know as an officer, but also what I know as a trans person, right? One of the things that you learn in the academy is officer override. And that is, you know, if there is an officer um, that, you know, maybe is just taking a step too far, um, or you just need to override literally what what the term itself sounds like we need to just override that officer maybe you need to step in um keeping that in mind right for folks that may not have encountered other trans and non-binary individuals right knowing that i am one um and may be able to communicate you know with those situations and again i have an awesome department i know it seems like a little over the top but i have an awesome department where even during the fair you know if one of my uh fellow officers had a question um, or they did not know, they came to ask. They knew, right? Uh, that's a, a perk of being out, um, is that my team knows that I am there. And so if they have questions, if they have concerns, they know they can ask so that they can, again, have that pro-com and that approachable method to be able to do it right to make whoever we're encountering feel safe. So I guess my final question, and you know, we kind of got a little into it anyway, You talked about you didn't set out to make history, right? There are other, you know, trans non-binary folk in law enforcement, and they just have to feel safe enough to walk in who they are, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm getting at is, even though all of that has been said, like, what impact do you think or hope your presence with the Wisconsin State Fair Police has for Black trans people, especially those who want a career in law enforcement. Yeah, um, I hope the impact is that that youth understand that police are here to help. I also specifically the impact I want is 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 not necessarily for 
a trans or non-binary person, right? Mm -hmm. We know we exist. We know that Mm -hmm. we can have any career as anyone else. Um, We know that. The impact that I am making is with my team. We all wear the same badge, right? And that is being represented. When folks see that, they know and understand, no matter who you are, right, that there is an opportunity for you. So it's not just me making history. It's our department that is making history. It is our department that is laying a foundation and saying, look, we still can do police work, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. that didn't make any difference that we added this guy, right? I think one of the best things it was to kind of wrap this up is my supervisor, right? You'd ask him and you'd be like, so what's the best thing about working with DJ? He'd be like, I don't know how you want me to answer that question. I mean, he's like working with anybody else, right? Because, and that's the whole thing. That's the impact right there, right? Yeah. That it's, it's normal. It's regular. It's the same. There, there is no difference. And that is the impact that I want to make is that we are here. We exist. And as employers, you can welcome us in and we're going to do our job as a team, right? And be successful as a team to be able to protect the whole state of Wisconsin, right? Like as a team. And that, that is the impact that I want to make the other side impacts, the co-impacts, they'll just fall in place on their own. You know, a kid is going to be sitting in front of the TV, they're, you know, or listening to the, you know, listening to a podcast or whatever, and they're going to hear who I am. But the thing is, I don't want them to say that I want to be like him. I want them to say, I want to work for a department like State Fair Park. That's what I want them to say. Dejorn Gauthier is a Wisconsin State Fair Police Officer, and he spoke with WUWM's race and ethnicity reporter Taryn Powell. After a long hiatus, Lake Effect is taking the show on the road once again to celebrate yet another Milwaukee neighborhood. Join us next Wednesday, September 13th at Anodyne Coffee in Walkers Point for a live taping of the show. Tickets are free, but reservations are suggested. Check out wuwm.com for more information. In about 20 minutes, we'll hear some new local music in this month's Milwaukee Music Roundup. But first, we'll find out what to expect this weekend at the 25th Milwaukee International Short Film Festival. That's coming up on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. The Milwaukee International Short Film Festival is the longest-running film festival that honors local filmmakers. With 85% of its lineup represented by Wisconsin filmmakers, there is much to celebrate in its 25th year. To honor the anniversary, this year's theme is Legacy. Returning filmmakers are bringing new films, and films from the festival's past are being shown again for new audiences. Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski is joined by Milwaukee Short Film Festival founder and director Ross Bigley, along with filmmaker Mark G.E. His film, Phantom Limb, was the very first film shown at the festival, 
and will return to the big screen this weekend. So the Milwaukee International Short Film Festival is celebrating 25 years this weekend. So first off, congratulations on that significant marker, Ross. Thank you. This anniversary lends itself to this year's theme, which is legacy. So can you share a bit about how you wanted to thank the filmmakers with this theme? That happened by pure chance, actually, because we always get returning filmmakers. And this year we had an overabundance of returning filmmakers, and it just happened to be our 25th season. And um, I also selected three films from past seasons to program so people can see, you know, what we've shown before. You have 20 total returning filmmakers that are bringing new films, and as you just mentioned, showing three past films, including one called Phantom Limb by Mark. So, Mark, can you share how developing the short came to be 25 years ago? What's it about? Sure. So back about 25 years ago, I had a TV show on Matto, which was the access channel here in Milwaukee. And uh, the show was called Joy Farm. And it was uh, basically a, co a comedy show with a comedy troupe that uh, was a cross between Monty Python, Twilight Zone, and David Lynch. So in doing that, we had done basically a number of, we, we really approached it as doing a number of short films. And then eventually we started doing longer form film as though they were still short so they would fit into the 30 minute category or under uh so that's that's what we did is we we were just expanding what we were doing and becoming more comfortable um and as a filmmaker and and how and the troupe in terms of how we would all interact and work together so phantom limb it has a bit of a noir film style it's black and white can you share uh, like the rough summary of it without any spoilers for people who might be seeing it for the first time this coming weekend i guess i would call it a noir suspense mystery with satirical elements or a satire with suspense and mystery elements what takeaways do you have in revisiting this and screening it again you know as a filmmaker you don't always know what you are you know like what are you good at what do you know how to do and i can't say that i necessarily set out to do noir i think at some point it was just uh, we had an affinity for it and we thought oh this could be fun to do but i was saying to ross recently that how i came to really work a lot in black and white and as a filmmaker i have worked a lot in black and white um it was really because the format we were working on three-quarter inch matic looked horrible in color, particularly <laughs> in reds. And, and so reds, after you dub them numerous times, would just bleed. So I started wanting more control over the way the picture looked. And I started at that time just uh, saying, let's experiment in black and white and see how that looks. And maybe I could at least have more control over the blacks and the whites and the grays and the contrast. So I really fell into it sort of not attempting to really do that, but then it ended up looking well, you know, and I thought, well, maybe I should keep working in this direction. Yeah, I love the look and style of it. And Ross, Thanks. there's um, so many films to choose from. You've had 25 years of submissions and, and screenings. What were you thinking about when you're like looking at these three films and thinking like these are would be great to show how far we've come? Well, for one thing, Mark's film was actually like the first film in our festival. So I wanted to uh, reach out to him and see if he'd be willing to show it. And the other two were just sort of favorites of mine. I don't think many people have seen since they were at our festival. I mean, they're on YouTube, but 
I don't think they were widely noticeable on, on YouTube because years have passed. For sure. So, Mark, how does it feel to revisit this work after so many years and to have it presented again on the big screen and have it presented to so many people, probably for the first time, when for you, this is past work and you've probably grown so much as an artist? We feel honored that we're a part of it. Uh, the cast is coming back into town, some of them. Uh, some of them live uh, in different parts of the world and are coming back to see it. Uh, so we're very honored to be a part of it. Ross has done just a phenomenal job of showcasing short film. And short film in general tends to be something that maybe is given, given short shrift. Uh, there aren't a lot of places to really watch it. Maybe more now with YouTube. But really to be able to see it in a theater on a big screen. When it was shot, it was shot with a film style. So it was shot particularly to try to be something that would be shown in a, a theater, though at the time we really didn't have an opportunity to do it. So Ross has uh, really given us that opportunity to show something that might otherwise be lost. So Ross, we have local filmmakers like Mark. Uh, what else is the makeup of this year's programming and submissions? Well, most of our filmmakers are from the area. That's been the case for a few years where it's seemingly a lot of filmmakers have come and returned to us and shown their work. So the majority of our lineup is local filmmakers. We do have international fare and stuff shown outside of Wisconsin, too, or filmed outside of Wisconsin as well. This year you also have a new block specifically for young filmmakers, right? Yeah. How did that come about? Well, let me uh, paraphrase it this way is that they're young, but they're not like high school students or younger. Um, it's mostly because we rarely get films from that age group, people who just graduated high school or first or second year in college. And this year we got a lot of them. And I said, well, okay, let's try to make a block and showcase this new emerging talent that's joining the local film community here. Yeah, you have a great few programming blocks that show off a range of diverse filmmakers. Can you share some of the anticipated festival favorites screening this year? Well, let's see, besides Mark's film, which I think is a really good choice for people to see on Friday night, um, there is Michael Weyer's No Solicitation. Uh, he's a returning filmmaker as well, and it's co-written by a previous filmmaker as well who won awards for script writing as well at our festival. There is Ricardo Tenorio's uh, Town of Sunshine, this really unique animated film that's a horror film. It's very short, like three or four minutes, but it's very unique, and I kind of like his style. It is sort of like old-school video game animation. Sure. And so I enjoyed the look and feel and texture he put into that film. Blue Hour in the 6.30 block Saturday night is a really good film by another returning filmmaker, Maya Korn, who produced this one for J.D. Shields. And Paulina Lul, who won probably in 2018, I believe, for The Homecoming, Best Film in Voices Heard, she has a small part in that film as well. I have to make a, uh, a note of my son's film, which is also in the festival. Yes. He's a, he's a filmmaker in film school currently, and he did a film called, a short film called Defunction, which is a love story wrapped in a time travel film. Uh, Alexander Eberhagi, he actually uses the actual name, whereas I tend to use a pseudonym. 
<laughs> He'll, that film will be playing at the 3.30 block on Saturday. Excellent. So clearly there's a wide representation, even in our conversation today, intergenerational filmmakers. So Ross, coming up on the 25th celebration, what are you thinking and reflecting on, and what do you want to share with audiences who perhaps haven't been part of this festival in any capacity? Uh, what's your words of encouragement to come and, and check out what short film has to offer? Well, I think no matter the block, you're going to find something you'll like in it because they're short films. And if you didn't care for one, there's another one starting right afterward that you probably will like a lot. What I like about short films is sometimes they're more impactful than feature films. And there's a lot of good material this year, 49 films and many returning filmmakers, many Milwaukee filmmakers are premiering their film for the first time at our festival. And when you have people coming back to you over and over again, that's a good feeling. And I think says something about our festival and how we take care of the filmmakers. And Mark, for you as a filmmaker, what are you excited or thinking about with this upcoming festival? Well, one of the things I really like about Ross's festival in particular is that when you're doing short films, they, uh, there tends to be a festival then that has a lot of ideas. So if you go to any screening, you're going to find a wealth of ideas uh, because every short film has different ideas in it. And, and whereas if you go see one feature length film, you might have sort of one idea that plays itself out over 90 minutes or more. In a short film festival, you might see eight or 10 films or seven films that all have unique different ideas um, and those all can be very impactful. So I find myself after a festival many times looking back and saying and thinking about uh, what worlds they were creating and you're hit with all of those. So there's an awful lot to take in, which can be very exhilarating. And if I could add, the, the thing about short films, aside from the feature films, feature films tend to be in, in this day and age a little bit, um, a little bit more cookie cutter because they're event-driven films and you have to meet certain requirements for that. With short films, you really get the director's personality and their point of view across in those much stronger than you would most times with a feature film. Absolutely. And so many directors and artists will be on display for the short film festival. So Ross and Mark, thank you both so much for joining me today to share more. Thank you. Ross Bigley is the founder and director of the Milwaukee Short Film Festival. Mark G.E. is the director of the short film Phantom Limb, which played at the very first short film festival and is returning to the screen again this year. They both spoke with Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski. The Milwaukee Short Film Festival will be held at the Avalon Theater in Bayview, September 8th and 9th. Last year, the recipe for Italian grinder sandwiches went viral on TikTok. In fact, according to Google Trends, it was the most searched recipe on Google in Milwaukee. Customers at Glorioso's Italian market have ordered grinders for more than 70 years. But general manager Michael Glorioso says locals have other names for the sandwich. WUWM's Eddie Morales visits the market on Brady Street to talk with Glorioso about the sandwich and its many variations. Can you just tell me about what a grinder sandwich is? 
Well, sure. According to the definition, a grinder uh, sandwich is a submarine sandwich uh, that is especially popular in New England. Today, uh, really any kind of hot or cold sandwich sandwich is also often called a grinder um, if it's served on a grinder roll. And uh, that uh, sandwiches can take uh, many different names depending on where you are in the country and even regionally and citywide. Those uh, names would include things like Hero, Hoagie, Torpedo, Wedge, Zep, or Deli Sandwich. A sub sandwich, submarine sandwich, all those things really in the, uh, here in the country, depending on where you are, uh, are the same thing. Uh, uh, unless you go to New England where it's something a little bit more specific. Because there are different names for these sandwiches and people call them different things, but they are the same sandwich. Can you talk a little bit about what insight you gain into a person when they come in here and they ask for a certain type of sandwich, but it's not necessarily something that's on the menu? Sure. Um, we ha it happens to us all the time. We'll have a customer, maybe it'll be our first time in the Gloriosos. They'll walk up to our deli and uh, look to order a sandwich and they'll go, hey, what kind of grinders you have? And some of the uh, deli staff don't even know what they're talking about. What do you mean a grinder? What's that? And they'll go, you know, and then they'll describe it. And then our, our, our staff will go, oh, you mean uh, one of our signature deli sandwiches or something? Uh, and they go, yeah. And what's interesting is when people say that, having been around uh, for a little bit of time here, um, I'm able to kind of figure out where they're from. If they say uh, Grinder, I know they're from New England East Coast. If they say Hoagie, they might be from New Jersey. If they say a bomber or something, they're probably from Racine or Kenosha. And so uh, it's interesting that you can peg people for where they're originally from by how they order the same sandwich, but what name they use. So it's, uh, it's fun. And uh, once again, it's something that we try to educate our people on. When people ask for this, this is what they're talking about. They're just from somewhere else. If someone were to come in here and say, hey, can I get an Italian grinder sandwich? What would go into making that? From what I know defines the grinder is the hard, long uh, roll, the hard crust uh, with the soft, pillowy inside. So that long roll, whether it be plain or seated, is kind of the definition. What goes in it and whether it's cold or toasted is debatable, uh, once again, uh, regionally. But in our sandwiches, you order a large or a regular. Uh, you then choose uh, the meats. Uh, that you want. You choose the cheese and any additional toppings and we make it your way. We do, however, uh, have our own proprietary uh, sandwiches uh, that we post, which are our most popular. We call them our signature sandwiches and those include things like the Felici Special. Felici was my grandfather's name and probably 50, 60 years ago we developed that sandwich uh, and that includes things like Genoa salami, mortadella, capicola, provolone, uh, and then you get it with or without balsamic vinegar. And then if you want, you can add anything else you want to it. We also have uh, grinder sandwiches uh, for those people who uh, may uh, have a slant towards being a vegetarian where there is no meat. Uh, those also are very popular and they have things such as uh, roasted eggplant, artichokes, provolone, mild or hot uh, olive-based mufalata along with that. Um, we have all sorts of other options of hot and cold sandwiches, paninis and all that, but when it comes to that more specific grinder sandwich, uh, those are certainly our most popular ones. And with all those variations of the ingredients, one thing that is very important in that is, like you mentioned, the bread. Can you the just bread. speak to that a little bit more? Sure. 
Uh, bread is important, and here at Glorioso's Italian Market, we have been utilizing uh, Shortino's Bakery, which is right on the corner from our uh, store here, for the past, I believe, uh, 74 years. Uh, we've been, they've been baking our bread fresh every day, and it's a, uh, either a short and or a long grinder roll uh, with uh, seeded on the top. And the other key to it is that that roll is double baked. And the first baking, uh, just they flash bake it, and then they bake it one more time, and that gives it a crispy uh, outside and a, a soft inside. The importance of having a soft inside where the bread uh, is that the bread needs to absorb all of the oils and things that when you add things like giardinera or muffal muffalata, they're based in oil, uh, olive oil and that bread kind of absorbs it, or if we put balsamic vinegar on there or just a sprinkle of olive oil. If, you're, if your bread's too dense or too hard, it just runs out and makes a big mess. So the bread on the inside needs to be soft on our sandwiches to help give that uh, full experience of, and flavors that it's gonna absorb uh, from all the condiments that we put on. What are your thoughts about you know a recipe like this going viral on TikTok, um, with decades of Gloriosa's doing this? Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's pretty cool that things that we've been doing for 70 years um, all become all of a sudden become a little bit more popular and or fashionable. Um, I think that, you know, the uh, growth of the sub sandwich shops, whether it be the Subways or the Cousins locally and so many others that are in the business, um, as they have learned that Italian is probably the most popular avenue to pursue, um, and they've introduced through their advertising efforts on national TV, uh, things like mortadella and capicola and prosciutto, whereas before it was ham, turkey, chicken, um, salami as a, ge a generic uh, term for whatever they were putting on. Uh, so uh, I think it's awesome that a new generation of sandwich eaters has been exposed to so many new things that have been around for a long time, and that's certainly been a, a boom for us in our business. Uh, we've been doing it for a long time. Michael, thank you so much for meeting with me here at Glorioso's and taking the time to talk to me today about Italian grinder sandwiches. You're very welcome. Michael Glorioso is the general manager of Glorioso's Italian Market. He spoke with WUWM's Eddie Morales in May. In just a moment, we'll hear some new local songs in this month's Milwaukee Music Roundup. That's coming up next on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. Summer may be coming to an end, but that doesn't mean an end to live local music, which is great news for music lover Matt Wild. Wild is the co-founder of Milwaukee Record, and every month he creates a list of some of the best new releases from local musicians, called the Milwaukee Music Roundup. He joins me now to share a few of those songs. Matt Wild, thank you as always for being here on Lake Effect. Thank you so much, Joy, for having me back to talk about some fantastic Milwaukee music. I'm going to say before we get into these songs, these songs are 
all over the place in genre. <laughs> they are they are like, you know, sometimes we we do a couple songs that are pretty similar and a mm-hmm. couple songs that might not be. These every single one wild card. I you know I always try to you know get a a, a diverse and a you know interesting mix of artists and styles. And sometimes I, I do have to do a little digging, but for whatever reason, this past month. <laughs> Uh, it was so easy to find four tracks that, like you said, are very, very different from each other, from very, very different artists. So it has been just a a fascinating and eclectic month in Milwaukee music. So I'm happy to share these songs with everyone. This this first song was honestly so poppy that I thought I'd hit the wrong link. I thought, surely <laughs> this is not a Milwaukee band. That's fascinating you say that because uh, that is definitely what I want to talk about with this first group. They are called Gold Steps. Now, Gold Steps, I believe they have uh, their origins back in Austin, but they've been in Milwaukee now since uh, 2018. And really, for the first couple of years of their existence, existed as kind of a, a very pop punk band more of a rock and roll band. And they have been a very, very busy band. They have uh, been playing tons and tons of shows. Uh, they played uh, not one but two high-profile shows at this past Summerfest this past summer. And now they have a new single out. It is called Undercover. With this track uh, specifically, uh, like I said, it kind of used to be a pop-punk band. Really, really leaning into the pop aspect on uh, this new track, Undercover. It is a very, very slick, very, very pop-friendly, very radio-friendly song and I'm always fascinated by Milwaukee bands who uh make this move because it's not a common move for a lot of Milwaukee groups. Uh Milwaukee in particular, you know, it just kind of has this vibe of like, hey, we're starting a garage band and we're gonna, you know, live and die as a garage band. So it's fascinating when groups like this really kind of make a play to be uh, you know, very pop friendly, very mainstream friendly. And I don't think there's any shame in that. I mean, it's not, you know, the 90s anymore where we care about, you know, quote unquote, selling out or anything like that. I just think it's it's a bit unusual for uh, Milwaukee groups to do this. So it's a catchy song. So I have to hand it to Gold Steps on this. Uh, so let's uh, listen to it now. This is uh, Gold Steps with their new uh, pop hit, Undercover. Undercover by Gold Steps. This next song, I kept thinking I knew where it was going, and then I was wrong. It, it, it starts off, and I was like, oh, is this going to be like a Panic at the Disco-style song? And then it's <laughs> definitely not. Uh, the, the bridge felt a little uh, kind of like Tom Waits experimental work. And, and in total, I was trying to think of how I would describe it. It's like um, Man Man, maybe, meets like... I, I don't know, like early Missy Elliott or Justin Timberlake. I have no idea how to couch this song. 
That's uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat with you on this. This is the uh, latest from Vincent Van Great, aptly named uh, Milwaukee producer, singer, R&B artist, rapper. And uh, he is fantastic. He has a new record out. Is uh, The record is called Ladies Please. And uh, the song we're going to be listening to is called See You Dance. And uh, kind of like you said, not only this track, the entire record is really all over the map. Uh, there's a lot of fantastic guests on this record uh, joining Vincent Van Great. You've got folks like uh, Classic popping up. You have Sister Strings popping up. Uh, you have the great Amanda Huff also popping up on this record. Now, Vincent and Amanda have worked together in the past. A couple of years ago, they put out a fantastic EP together called Troublemakers. I'm sure we've talked about some of those songs before. And so there's a lot of guests on this record. Uh, there's even a skit, kind of a comedy skit. So a nice throwback to the days when, uh, you know, you couldn't find a rap or a hip hop album without uh, numerous skits. And uh, Vincent Van Great himself, been very, very busy lately. Uh, just a few weeks ago, threw out the first pitch at uh, at a Brewers game. So he joins, you know, such uh, Milwaukee luminaries as uh, Milverine as throwing out recent first pitches at Brewers games. So he's been very, very busy. Uh, this track, like I said, is called See You Dance. It is, um, I, I think it's a fantastic track, a real highlight amongst highlights on this record. So let's listen to it now. It is the latest from Vincent Van Great. It is called See You Dance. Vincent Van Great. Uh, we're going to switch to a completely different genre, but something that to me is maybe a little bit more what I think of when I think of Milwaukee. It's a very pared down, it's singer-songwriter kind of fair. Absolutely. This is a solo track from a uh, Milwaukee music veteran. Her name is Ashley Altadonna. Now, Ashley has been, like I said, has been around the music scene for uh, years and years and years. I remember playing my own band, playing with one of her earlier bands back in the day, uh, the New Blind Nationals. And she's been busy ever since, playing in a, a ton of different groups. Uh, she, along with some Chicago musicians, uh, they are called Vacancy Chain. They just put out a terrific record this summer as well. And it was during uh, kind of some research on that record that I discovered, and I hadn't known this before, that Ashley apparently has been working on some solo material. So the song we're going to be listening to from Ashley is called A Minor Requiem. And it is a single from apparently uh, the EP, an upcoming EP of the same name. 
And uh, like you said, it is very pared down. It is a uh, very, very singer songwritery, and uh, it's just a lovely song. And like I said, I was really pleasantly surprised when I discovered that Ashley was uh, working on some solo material. I hadn't uh, been aware that she was doing that. So it's always uh, great to see even a, uh, a musician that's been around for so many years like she has trying new things and kind of constantly evolving. So this is a lovely track. It's uh, from Ashley Altadonna. It is called A Minor Requiem. Minor Requiem by Ashley Altadonna. Now, uh, the final song we're going to look at, I, I will say, in looking at this list of songs, I feel like we've gone from least Milwaukee to what I view as kind of the most Milwaukee. This might be my own personal bias because of the groups I, I tend to see, but this is very much what I think of as Milwaukee music, kind of classic punk rock and roll. Absolutely. A good kind of throwback, old school uh, punk rock and roll. This is the uh, debut from a uh, new Milwaukee band called Jinxie. I was speaking about uh, Ashley Altadonna being a Milwaukee music veteran. Uh, we have some more Milwaukee music veterans in this new group. It is a trio. We have Wendy Norton, we have Amalinda Burrish, and uh, we have uh, Wendy's husband, uh, Ryan King, on drums. Wendy and Amalinda especially uh, have uh, been in, it, it's almost impossible to count the number of <laughs> bands both have been in over the years. Uh, just very, very integral parts of the Milwaukee music scene for, for many years. And they recently had a trio called Fun Boys, which had a different drummer. And uh, that's where this new group has kind of uh, evolved from, uh, Jinxie. Jinxie is, uh, like I said before, a really kind of old school punk record. It's fantastic. And yeah, when you think of Milwaukee music, you think of something like this. I really, really love this record. I, it was kind of another surprise to me. I, for some reason, thought that only one track had been released and the, the record was coming later this fall. So uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised when I discovered the whole eight track record was online. 
And uh, there's so many great songs on this. There's some just some fantastically sharp and catchy and memorable songwriting from Wendy here. And uh, she's been such a great uh, part of this scene for so many years. And together, uh, Wendy, Amalinda, and uh, Ryan make up uh, just a terrific band. Uh, It's hard to pick just one favorite song out of this, uh, but the one I will pick is called Step Away. And it really has kind of an old school Ramones flavor, but uh, I really suggest uh, everyone uh, check out the rest of this album. Uh, There's hardly a a, a dud track on there. They're all fantastic. So it's uh, great to have this new group on the scene. It is Jinxie with Step Away. Away by Jinxie. Uh, now, we were talking a bit about this before the interview. It, it seems like when August rolls around, everyone goes, oh, it's the end of summer. And then September comes around, and it doesn't really feel like the end of summer. It feels like there's still all of these things that are happening in Milwaukee. There's still, yeah, tons of stuff going on. You th- it always feels like, oh, when the last kind of cultural festival at Summerfest takes place, that's the end. But uh, there's more summer to go. Uh, just off the top of my head, a big one coming up September 16th is uh, the Bayview Bash. Uh, Milwaukee Record, we have a stage at Bayview Bash. And uh, one of the bands that we talked about today, Gold Steps, uh, they will be playing our stage. So I would uh, suggest people come out for that. That's always a gorgeous kind of late summer day. And beyond that, it just it just kind of doesn't end. And it's just every week it's bananas here in Milwaukee. I, I swear I remember a time when things weren't so crazy. But uh, it's just every weekend, whether it's summer, fall, or even winter at this point, there's just so much going on. So it's, uh, it's hard to keep up, but it is fun to try at least to keep up. And uh, that's what I enjoy doing. For sure. Well, Matt Wild, as always, thank you for joining us here on Lake Effect. Thanks for having me. Matt Wild is the co-founder of Milwaukee Record. Every month he publishes his Milwaukee Music Roundup, and he shares a few of those songs with us. You can find our previous conversations at wuwm.com. And that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm Joy Powers. If you missed any of today's conversations, or if you'd like to take Lake Effect on the go, download our podcast. Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to listen to all of our shows on demand. Tomorrow on Lake Effect, we'll talk with the man behind a lot of the public art you see in downtown Milwaukee. We'll tell you about his efforts to support local artists and the community art scene. Plus, we'll tell you about some of the many events happening this month in Milwaukee. That's all tomorrow at noon, right here on Lake Effect, on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR.